How many times have you sent messages to women and gotten zero response or maybe gotten a response and then it fizzled out immediately? Well, you need help with your banter, my friend. And that is where I come in. I am basically the world's only banter coach. I teach you and give you the hard skill of being witty and clever and fun and also emotive and vulnerable to connect with women so that they want to know you. They want to go on a date with you. I have helped so many men succeed at this. I've lost count. So if you're struggling in this department, I'm telling you, it is worth your time to go to kristinandchill.com. If I could take all the guys that I've worked with and have them yell at you and beat you up until you finally give in and say, okay, this is something I really do need to work on, I would do that. But unfortunately, I can't do that. But what I can do is I can teach you to be fast on your feet so that you can charm her socks off and even more. And if you're finding you're not even getting matches to be able to banter in the first place, I make killer profiles. I hate to brag, but they're really, really good. So if you need help with your profile, I'm here for that as well. Make 2023, not 2022 or 2021 or however long you've been struggling. And you can start doing that by going to kristenandchill.com. Want to know the hidden meaning behind what women say and do? Then check out The Chictionary. It's the Wing Girl Methods manual that gives you a full rundown of all the things women say that confuse men written in dictionary format. Go get a copy of The Chictionary by going to winggirlmethod.com slash chick. That's winggirlmethod.com slash chick. Coming up on this week's episode of the Ask Women podcast, we have Dr. Orion Tarabon, who is going to share with us how to build the skill set for rejecting women, something we don't talk about a lot. We touch on it a lot, especially over the past seven or eight years. We definitely touch this, but we don't dive deep like we do in this episode. He is going to teach you how to properly reject women and how to build the skill set so that you can feel good about the rejection. So keep listening. Hey everyone, welcome to the Ask Women podcast, your favorite podcast with one of your favorite hosts, Kristen Carney from kristenandchill.com and your other favorite host, Marnie Kinnress from winggirlmethod.com. And today we have Dr. Orion Taraban, who is a psychologist in private practice and the host of the podcast, Psych Hacks. And we're going to talk about something we've never really talked about before today. We're going to talk about rejecting women and how it's actually a skill. And that's kind of cool. Yes. Those bitches have it coming. We're going to (laughs) reject them. Right. No, but it it is a skill. So, Orion, did I do that right? Perfect. Just like. Oh, okay, good. Yes. Okay. Orion, thank you so much for coming on. And I just want to give a little bit of background. So one of my inner circle clients who I absolutely love, he has just been amazing. He's sending me wonderful resources that have really helped him out in addition to the inner circle program. And he, he showed me a video of yours on rejecting women. And I was like, I have to have this guy on my show. There was tons of other videos on your YouTube channel on Psychax, where I was like, oh, this is good information, this is good information, this is good information. So guys should definitely go and check it out. But the one that I wanted to talk about with you today is rejecting 
women. I think it is such a skill that not enough guys have. So again, I'm going to stop talking. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me, Marty. It was really a pleasure to get your invitation. I'm happy to be here and talking to you both. So absolutely rejecting, let's say I'll begin by saying rejecting people is yeah. a skill. And for better or for worse, women kind of have to start learning that skill from a fairly young age. I mean, it's usually, even in middle school, we got the little grade school puppy dog crushes. Women have to kind of learn to say no, otherwise they're just going to end up with the first guy who has the guts to come up to her, right? Right. And that might not be her best option. If it were, it would only be through some crazy stroke of luck, right? So right. women generally practice rejecting men, and women get really good at rejecting men because most women are sort of afraid of male anger. And mm -hmm. there's some good reason for that. So a lot of women learn the skill of turning guys down in such a way that they can stay safe and also potentially even make the man feel good about being turned down. And I give an example of that in that podcast episode where a woman turned me down once and it made me feel like a million bucks because of the words she used and the tone that she used to communicate that message. Mm -hmm. It's so funny that you say women learn this very early on. I believe they do learn it early on, but I wouldn't say that women are actually very good at it. I, I feel like now I would finally be good at rejecting a man in a confident way that would still let him feel good. But I would say most women actually are not very good at it. I would, I would agree have with practice. <laughs> they just not, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the example I gave in the, podcast episode was so extreme, it really stood out. And yeah. I think it would behoove women to, to get better at this because they generally have to reject more men than men will have to reject women. The more successful you get as a man, the more likely you will have to reject women. Yes. Because the more people will want things from you, both men and women, and you have to come up against the bottleneck of your time more than anything else, but also your energy, your money, your attention. All those things yeah. are actually finite resources. You cannot dole them out to anyone. Yeah. So that's the primary starting point for this episode, which is wanting is free. I love to remind myself of this. It costs the wanter absolutely nothing to want things. That's why it's such a great interpersonal strategy, because sometimes you can kind of conjure something out of nothing just by wanting it, by expressing that desire to the right person who, for whatever reason, is in a mindset to give you what you want. So it makes sense to continue to want things because it's such a low-cost interpersonal strategy with not a guarantee, but a non-zero probability that you'll hit the jackpot of actually being given what you want. Yeah. So wanting is free, but giving is costly. Like it costs time, energy, money, attention, resources in order to give somebody what they want. So there's this inherent asymmetry between giving and wanting. And the more successful you become, the more you have to guard your limited resources. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I actually want to dig in a little bit deeper to the word rejection and see how do you actually define that or how do you see rejection? Because I know that for so many people, it's a painful experience. It's like a beat down on who they are as human beings. But I know that there's a better way to look at rejection, both when you're receiving it and when you're giving it. So I'd love to hear like how you define rejection or how you, how yeah, you see it actually. That's a great question. I made another episode about that a while back and I talk about the three P's of rejection, which are the three fallacies associated with rejection and that rejection is painful, mm -hmm. personal, and permanent. Yes. And none of those three things is true. Mm -hmm. 
the way that I now approach rejection is that it's just information. No is information. Yes is information. It's like a red light and a green light. It tells you when to stop. It tells you when to go. And that light can change in the future. And it's nothing to do with you in that car. That light will change on its own like time scale. So it takes a lot to develop an emotional callus around rejection. I once worked with a guy who was really interested in taking his pickup game to the next level, but he was, he was ashamed to admit it, but he was still terrified of female rejection. Yeah. So we actually worked out a protocol where I gave him a paradoxical intervention. That's a therapeutic technique where you actually prescribe the symptom. So he was terrified of getting rejected. So I gave him an assignment to go out and be re- get, get rejected, rejected by as many women as possible. I told him, you know, don't do anything absolutely ludicrous or illegal, but your goal is not to get a woman's number. Your goal is not to get a date. Your goal is not to sleep with anybody. Your goal is to get them to say no to you. Yes, and I love it. I have to say, like, I give that advice as well. So I like that I'm hearing that I'm fit. like a psychologist, psychiatrist. So, no, but it's amazing mm-hmm. to... Because it's a mind shift, right? It's like that's a positive then because then you can win. And if you win by getting rejected, it doesn't feel as personal and it doesn't feel as heavy on you. So I love that that's what you prescribe them. He also didn't get rejected that much because he was so confident and because he was actually not approaching with the feared outcome in mind. He often, he got a lot of numbers. Mm -hmm. But that guy, I think he approached 682 women in one weekend. One weekend? Where does he live? He lives in San Francisco. He was oh, on Market Street where there's a, he was doing get day games. So there's a lot of women walking Love by. It. There was a big uh, mall that was close by. So I think he yeah. did some approaches there. Good. And he went through basically the entire gamut of emotions in just two days. Like he was terrified. His first few rejections were really painful. Oh, he had no. to lick his wounds. The next few, he was angry. He was upset. But he had to get through all of this emotion first. Like he had yeah. pain, then he got really angry and upset and, and he was kind of approaching hostily for a while. And then he started to like, there was a crisis point and he just like stopped caring. Yeah. And it, he said it was the most like joyful and liberating experience he's I'm ever sure. had with women. He felt free to act in their presence like he had never acted before. But he had to kind of approach hundreds of women to get to that yeah. point. And I recommend that guys anticipate that it will probably take a few hundred approaches to get to that point. And so why not rip the Band-Aid off and try to do that in as concentrated a timeline as possible? Otherwise, what, you're going to do one or two approaches a week? It could take you years. Years, exactly. Well, Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours. hours, And you Mm -hmm. can apply that to being rejected, to becoming a pro at being rejected. And obviously- You can 10,000 hours sounds painful. You don't need to hit, of course, 10,000 hours. But if you 10,000 hours hours, or 600 women sounds pretty good to me. Like that's pretty even. Well, it's interesting because I like I hear from guys all the time like, oh, there's no women in my area. I'll say, oh, where do you live? They're like, New York. (laughs) Yes, there's women everywhere. (laughs) So like even in, in small places, there are concentrated areas like a mall, like on a busy street where you can, you can, you can just knock out these approaches. And it doesn't have to be women that you're attracted to. It really is just interacting with people, graduating up to women you're attracted to, but really challenging this Am I okay with approaching somebody that's random and being rejected? But on the flip side, what you said before, like going and trying to get rejected, which I love because it's a total mindset shift that 
I think makes the process speed up and go faster for you. So again, Absolutely. I love that you're prescribing that. And for those who are listening, there can always be people and women around you as long as you put yourself into the right space. So follow what this guy did. Go to a mall, go to a busy street and start approaching and wipe out fear of rejection. I think it's actually really important that guys learn to approach all kinds of different women. My dad yeah. told me when I was a teenager that, Orion, there are two kinds of women. There are the women that you want to date, and there are women that are practiced for the women that you want to date. Exactly. And the reason why is imagine a guy doesn't have any approaches under his belt. He doesn't feel comfortable striking up a conversation. Imagine he actually had the bad luck that his perfect woman sat down next to him alone yeah. on a bar stool. He wouldn't know what to do with the opportunity. Yeah. So you kind of have to, you have to get in your reps so yeah. that you can take advantage of opportunities when they do present themselves. Yes, I love that you just said reps. I tell people they always have to work their conversation muscle. It is a muscle, right? The same way that you do when you go to the gym. You got to work it so that when a real opportunity comes your way, you're ready for it. You're not just starting from there and then you fall flat on your face. So I think that's great. I think it's wonderful. So tell me more about rejecting women and building the skill for rejecting women. So once you have all of these practices under your belt of looking for a rejection and you are talking to a woman and you decide you don't like her, how do you then reject properly? And then how do you build this skill set of rejecting as a skill? Well, in the most, let's say, circumscribed way, rejection is a communication skill. And so you can you can learn certain tones. You can temper what you're saying with uh, a softness and a firmness with certain facial expressions. You can even have a few lines that are go-tos with respect to rejecting women. My point is that even if you can learn the words and you could practice the proper tone and facial expression for a rejection, what really gets in men's ways are beliefs. Okay. And there's a lot of beliefs that are in cult in men from a very young age associated with being a provider in so much as men often get their sense of self-worth by saying yes to women, by giving women what they want. Mm -hmm. And so a man who's putting himself in a position to say no to a woman can actually on some level run counter to his own self-identity as a man. He can experience a great deal of guilt or shame as if this woman will be, is it kind of fragile? A lot of men think yeah. women are, are kind of like they'll fall apart if he says no to them. It's the same thing with women. That's what the fear is on our side. It's uncomfortable to do. It's uncomfortable to let somebody down. That's why women sometimes do it so horribly because they'd rather avoid feeling that way. So usually they just ghost or disappear on men. So. I can hear that. I absolutely believe that. I do think that there's not the culturally sanctioned shame that can come to the same degree with women rejecting men than men rejecting women. Totally. Totally. I wouldn't say there's any shame associated with it. I wouldn't say that shame is a word that I would even think of when I would be thinking about rejecting a person. There's no shame around doing it. Mm -hmm. Got it. So you can feel bad as a man saying no, but you can also experience shame. And that's interesting. The most common forms of that is sort of like man up. And man up is always used 
in my experience, in conjunction with behaviors that serve women. You don't ever hear two guys saying, you should just man up and start that business, dude. Or you should just man up and be honest that you just kind of want a casual sex partner. Right. It's always man up, take responsibility, give her what she wants, move forward the relationship, be that version of a man. And if you aren't that, you're less than a man in society's eyes or in the eyes of that particular woman. So men's masculinity can kind of be revoked if mm. they don't toe certain lines with respect to relationships and women. And I don't okay. think it's quite the same. I think women have a little bit more freedom and flexibility. They have other issues and difficulties, of course, but... Right. No, that's interesting. So, well, I want you to keep talking about that because I find that very interesting that I didn't know that so many men experience shame when it comes to them rejecting a woman. I thought it was very similar to women rejecting men, that they just felt bad about doing it. And therefore, okay. they didn't know how to do it. So maybe the rejection comes at different points in the relationship because oftentimes women reject men at the front end. When they ask for their number, they ask for a date. It's sometimes easier to reject someone early on in the process. Men can often reject women later on in the process. Mm. I'm sure you've heard, Marnie, that women are the gatekeepers of sex and men are the gatekeepers of relationship. Yeah. And so women kind of reject men when it comes to sex and courtship. And yeah. men tend to reject women when it comes to relationships and commitment. Yeah. And at this point, there's usually some emotional investment. There's been some time investment. You've wasted my time is a really strong emotional manipulation technique to encourage men to like give her what she wants in that moment, I suppose. So we're not really talking about rejection often at the same points in a relationship. Does yeah. that make sense? That does make sense. It's to it totally makes sense. Okay. And so you get that sense. So if a man is interested in dating a woman and the time comes where he's, hey, where are we? What's going on? You know, where is this going? And the guy doesn't want to move the relationship forward. There's a lot of pressure at that point to have wasted her time, to have taken advantage of her, to have, you know, it's well, to shit or get off the pot. That's usually what you say to people who are undecided and who are wavering on whether or not they should be with somebody. Yeah. And an ultimatum is an interesting thing because it's basically a, an emotional coercion technique that takes advantage of a power imbalance. You would never give an ultimatum to a friend or a peer or an equal because you would just think it was entirely inappropriate. Ultimatums actually only come from higher power structures to lower power structures. They don't happen the other way around and they don't happen between equals. So what's really interesting is that women tend to give ultimatums when they feel like they have sufficient power in the relationship to do so. If a woman didn't feel that, she might realistically understand that issuing such an ultimatum would just rock the boat and probably wouldn't end with a positive outcome or the one that she would prefer. So the person who generally gives the ultimatum has more power and leverage in that relationship and they're kind of flexing on it. Oh, interesting. But I actually see it very opposite because I gave a soft ultimatum to my now husband where I felt that I did not have the power or control. It was a very different position for me where we were dating for a very long time and he was still weighing it out. Like at least that's how I was taking it in. It was really beating up my confidence. And I remember saying to him, we were on a vacation with his family and I remember crying 
at the top of the stairs. And he said, why are you crying? I said, because I don't know if I'm going to be here next year. And I don't know if I should continue investing in your family who I've known for five years. And that's really hard. And then I said to him, I was like, you know what? I'm going to give you three months, three months for you to decide whether you want to have me in your life or whether you don't. And you ask me questions, you weigh the options, but at the end of three months, if you don't know, then I have to go because this is too hard on me. And I didn't feel like maybe I was taking some power back when I made that ultimatum because I was saying that I have the choice. I don't know if I would have made the choice if he had said no in the end or didn't know still. I don't because it didn't end up being that way. But I felt like I had no power at that moment when I gave that ultimatum. So it's interesting that you're saying the opposite. I feel like you gave it from a place of switching power. Right. So you were actually in the place of power once you said it. Said that. That's But leading into it, you weren't. You know, and someone who gives the ultimatum, like Orion was saying, you know, having that upper hand. So it's like, is a female who's getting older and wants to have children. I don't feel like I'm in the place of power. I feel like I'm in the place of need. So, right. the, you know, if you're with somebody who doesn't really need to have a child, but will, you know, they're more in that place where they can say, I don't really need this. So I have more flexibility in what I want. So I can give ultimatums or I can throw things around at more of a whim state. Versus someone who's back I get up against a wall saying, oh, but I need this. So I'm not going to give an ultimatum because I need this other thing. I think it can go both that. ways, but I, I do think it switched once you gave the ultimatum. You became more powerful. Yeah. I think that's true. I was out with Logan Yuri a week or two ago. Do you ladies know who that is? No, do not know. She is the head of the director of relationships at Hinge. And she wrote a book on oh, okay. Very cool. how, to, how to Not Die Alone which is oh. her giving dating tips from her years as like analyzing yeah. dating app data. So <laughs> she's a really fascinating mm-hmm. person. We were talking about marriage the other day and she said behind every proposal is an ultimatum. And we mm-hmm. both laughed because I think we both understood the truth of that statement. Now to, to your point, Marnie, think about it this way. It's like if there's two people in a situation and one of them is saying, give me your wallet, who's more likely to say the one holding the gun or the one not holding the gun? Holding the gun. Of course. Now, to Kristen's point, I think it's like, imagine you were in a situation where you didn't like your job and you felt kind of powerless, but you understood that there were 10 other people in line for that same position and you were living kind of from month to month and you didn't really have much of a financial buffer. Right. Going into your boss's office might be empowering to make some demands, but it would be an extremely risky maneuver that most people wouldn't feel comfortable doing given the realities of their situation. So you might take some power back by issuing an ultimatum, but if you don't feel sufficiently secure in your situation, you're probably not going to do it unless you have something better lined up. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. That makes complete sense. Yeah. But the ultimatum, to Kristen's point, could also be the gun. Right. Like one of the things that men are really bad at is dealing with women's emotional distress. Yes. There is nothing that makes a man's (laughs) blood pressure go through the roof than an unhappy woman. 
Mm-hmm. And most men have this very strong pull to, I need to make this better as quickly as possible mm-hmm. because they can't handle their own distress at observing a woman's distress. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, whether they're aware of it or not, and there are certainly some, let's say, manipulative women out there, if a man isn't willing to tolerate his own distress at a woman's distress, it can create a reinforcement schedule in which the woman is unconsciously reinforced by showing negative emotion in that relationship, which can lead the relationship into really dark places that isn't good for either the man or the woman. I totally agree with that. We, we actually just did a whole masterclass on that last month. We had uh, Tara Harrison, who's a safe conversations expert. She's uh, certified in a tune. Like she has tons of certifications, but we just did the masterclass on how to emotionally connect to women, build safety, trust, and comfort through conversation. And that's what the whole class was about. It was about how to handle a woman's emotions, like exactly like how to like the mindset to have, how to do it, how to say it. It was amazing. And guys absolutely love the class, but it's a skill set because I know that most men are not brought up. Most people in general are not brought up to have that skill set, but most men specifically are not because of everything that you just said. They don't know how to handle the distress and they try to fix and stop it as soon as they hear it coming rather than what's actually needed and wanted from women is just holding the space for it. I think that's well said. I think that people have what I call emotional thumbscrews. Thumbscrews are, for whatever reason, emotions that for you are extremely difficult to deal with. It could be anger. Some people are so, maybe they had an abusive or angry father. And so they're so like terrified of anger that they won't even allow themselves to experience it. And so that's their emotional thumbscrew. For some people, it's guilt. Maybe they were raised by a guilt tripping mother and they feel like their entire existence gets negated when they feel like other people are upset with them or they Mm -hmm. didn't live up to other people's expectations, even if they weren't mutually negotiated between the two parties, because people are free to have expectations. Expectations are just like wanting things. And unless they are explicitly mutually negotiated between people, I often tell my clients, you're under no obligation to fulfill another person's expectations. That's Mm -hmm. like saying, you know, you failed on a job performance metric that your boss never told you about that right just incredibly unfair yeah so the point is is that people have these emotional thumb screws and that is something that each person should examine and resolve because if they don't it leaves them incredibly vulnerable to uh, suboptimal outcomes in life which basically is as soon as that emotion becomes predominant in a person because they can't handle it, because they find it so distressing, they will do whatever is immediately available to them that's presented to them as an option to escape or avoid Mm -hmm. contact with that emotional reality, which is... Which includes getting angry. What do you mean? It seems like men get angry when they can't solve a woman's problem for themselves and for her, but for themselves as well. Some men do. And that can be a problem in relationships and... I've seen it now with a number of people that I work with. So I don't know if you have anything to say on that in regards to how to curb the anger so it's more of a productive experience and less of a frustrated one. I think that that's true. Maybe you've heard it said that anger is a secondary emotion. Yes, yes. Okay, so it's usually in response to some more primary emotion. And often when men get angry in the situation you just described, Kristen, it's because their feeling of self-worth is threatened by the woman's unhappiness. Yes. 
And so they feel guilty or ashamed. And that's a more aversive experience than feeling angry, which even though isn't pleasant, has the illusion of power. Like when you become angry, when you actually give in to anger, you're actually surrendering your power. You're like the bull in the bull ring. You're just charging madly at everything. And it doesn't really end well for the bull at the end of the bullfight, does it? Like the person in control is the one waving the cape. Right. So it may feel very powerful to get angry, but it actually is surrendering your power to external circumstances and whoever mm-hmm. might be waving the flag at you. Yeah, my father used to always say the first person to swear in a discussion, in a heated discussion, is is the loser. Like as soon as your temper gets up, like that's when you've lost or that's when the other person has lost. So that was always a big thing for me that I I never wanted to get to that place. Like, I was like, okay, as soon as I start getting heated, like, that's when I've lost. Mm-hmm. On some level, yes, because the, the more that you swear and you, you go into dirty fighting tactics, like making personal attacks, you're basically conceding that you're out of arguments. Yeah. And so you're, you're kind of like hitting below the belt and you're starting to flail. Yeah. Like you're and that you've lost control. You have, no, you have lost control of yourself. Yeah, 100%. I want to get back to the rejecting thing, though, because I know we're going down really important paths of information. So can we shift for a second? I know this is all part of it. And take a break. We should probably take a break. And All right, we can take a break, actually, right now. <laughs> Thank you, Kristen. <laughs> and we'll come back and we're going to go circle around back to rejecting as a skill, even though everything that you were talking about is super important. And that's why I would actually tell you to go to Psychax and go check out more of Dr. Orion's videos because he dives deep into all of this great information about these topics that we've touched on. But we'll be back in just a minute. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Do you know yourself? Like really know yourself? Chances are you don't know as much about yourself as you think you do because we don't make great mirrors for our own self-reflection. We're like a funhouse mirror a lot of the time in our brains. We're seeing things distorted. We're not actually getting under the surface because we're stuck on a certain belief. When you work with BetterHelp, they connect you with a licensed therapist who can take you on a journey of self-discovery, which will lead you to figuring out why you're attracted to the type of woman that's horrible for you all the time or why you take rejection in such an intense way. There's so many discoveries to be made. I've benefited from therapy. Listen to episodes from years ago or, I mean, two two weeks ago. I don't know. When you're in therapy, you're always evolving. And without evolution, you're going to be stagnant and you don't want to be stagnant. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you wanted to be stagnant. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's done entirely online. It's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash askwomen today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ask women. If you listen to the Ask Women podcast, then you are already miles and miles and miles ahead of other men when it comes to attracting and getting the girls you want. But I must confess, there's one missing piece in the puzzle, and that's flirting or the ability to ignite sexual chemistry with any girl you meet in a matter of minutes. Most guys suck at flirting. They can't flirt their way out of a paper bag. But as your personal wing girl, I can't let you be one of those guys. That's why I want to show you the most effective step-by-step formulaic approach to flirting with any girl you like. This formulaic approach has been tested on thousands of girls and has been proven to work like magic. Yes, magic. You just apply the formula and see results instantly, and it's that powerful. 
To find out everything about this flirting formula, all you have to do is go to winggirlmethod.com slash flirty. I've made a special video for you where I reveal what this formula is all about. Go to winggirlmethod slash flirty and you'll find out all about it. All right, we are back and we're going to get back to rejection as a skill and like what that means for guys and how to actually do that. Because I know that you were saying there is shame around it. It can produce triggers like anger and all of these emotions that we were talking about before the break. But how do guys do this? How do they reject a woman properly? Like leaving women better off than they were, you know, like exactly like you said, like that woman did to you on the reverse side. How do guys do this? Well, they have to work through whatever shame they may feel about rejecting women. They may also have to work through their scarcity mentality. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be very, very difficult in practice for men to say no to a woman if they don't have any prospects of a better option or if they despair of their ability to drum up any optionality for them. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the average age at marriage, first marriage in the US is 29 for men and 28 for women. And that's... In the late 20s, yeah. It's, yeah. it's getting older every single yeah. year. But the late 20s, early 30s is generally when, let's say, normalized sexual marketplace value begins to switch between men and women. Mm-hmm. Like it's around 30 that for the first time in their lives, the average man might have a, a higher sexual marketplace value than the average woman. Yeah, upper hand. And most guys never really get to that place if they're getting married at 29, do you see? Mm-hmm. So it's usually in the late 20s that they get their first real optionalities with women, like women begin to express interest in them in terms of a long-term partnership, especially if they have their shit together and they have a decent job and they don't have addictions and things like that. And because they've never yet had the experience of optionality with women, they might think, wow, this is the best thing since sliced bread. I'm I haven't done any better than this in the last 10 years. And so they extrapolate forward that the next 10 years is going to be as empty as the previous 10 years, which is certainly not the case. And they don't have any practice versus women potentially saying no to boys in seventh grade. So the scarcity mentality has to be worked through and the shame and cultural conditioning around rejecting and, and not providing for women needs to be worked through. But to answer your practical question, how do you actually approach this? It's good to be firm. It's good to be kind. And it's good to not bullshit. So it's important not to use cliched lines like it's not... Not you, it's it's me. me. You, it's me. Because it's you. No. (laughs) Well, it's a mutually created thing. I mean, there's... What no, the, it's what that this event. isn't clicking. This isn't clicking the way that I wanted it to. It's not the chemistry that I was hoping for. It could be chemistry, but it could also be you don't check enough of my boxes for a committed yeah. partnership or a long-term relationship. Like you are fun to date and have and hang out with and sleep with, but I'm looking for different attributes with respect to a different structured relationship. So this is actually something that I highly encourage that men, men do. I haven't made an episode about this yet, so this will be in a, you know, get the scoop here on Ask. I like it. So I say that it's really, really important for men in the first, let's say, six to 12 months to use the dating period as a way of like figuring out into which of like 
five categories this particular woman is going to be sorted. I think there's really only five different relationships men can have with women. There's wife or life partner. There is committed relationship like boyfriend, girlfriend. There's friends with benefits. There's purely platonic. And then there's everything else. So the vast majority of women are going to fit into those last two categories. And so when you're dating somebody, it's really about trying to figure out which in those, those first three, this woman might belong. And the way to do that is to extrapolate what you're looking for before you actually end up going out on your first date with this person. You got to think of yourself, guys, as like the CEO of Orion Corp, like the president of John LLC or Peter Inc. or whatever yeah. the fuck your name is. And yeah, you're hiring. Yes. You are hiring. Exactly. Yeah. So many guys go on these dates and their main focus is, does this woman like me? They're Am interviewing. That is interesting. Yes, you're hiring They're, and not interviewing. That's right. The men yeah. are hiring because I don't know of any culture on the planet that I'm aware of where the woman gets down on her knee and proposes to the man. Right. So at the end of the day, because men are the gatekeepers of relationship, men are inviting women into a place in their lives. It's never the other way around. So before a, they even put the posting on LinkedIn or whatever, the company has to define what they're looking for with respect to that position. They have to define the role. Mm -hmm. And based on that definition, they can extrapolate certain skills or experience necessary to be able to discharge the responsibilities associated with that role. Mm -hmm. And so the courtship process is really just an extended interview period through which the man can kind of covertly assess the women in his life from different time points and in different contexts to see if she reliably checks a sufficient number of his boxes associated with one of these three categories. Mm -hmm. And if it comes to the point where, you know, what are we doing? Where are we going? This is something that I say to guys, you should always be prepared for this conversation because it will definitely happen if you end up dating a woman for a long enough timeline. Sometimes it yeah, could be of course. two months. Sometimes it could be two years. Sometimes yeah. it could be 20 years. Maybe it's not mm -hmm. that long, but... It, no, it's like, not that long. Yeah. Well, everybody yeah, wants to know right. where they stand, right? They want to know, are we on the same page? That's really what that statement means. Are we on the same page? And most people are afraid to say where, where they stand first. So they want to check in with the man and say, okay, well, where, where are we? Meaning, where are you? And then I can decide where I'm. And I generally recommend that guys wait for the woman to bring that up oh, in the course. No. Oh, well, I would know. I would say the opposite. I mean, I wouldn't say like to always say, this is how I'm feeling about you. But I would say every few dates, like just say little sprinkles of information. I remember my husband on one of our, our like our third date, we were making out with each other. And I looked at him and I said, I like you. I think you're really interesting. And I, I like this. Like that was a little sprinkle, right? To let him know that I liked him. I wasn't just like wavering on him. I liked him. And I felt like he would then reciprocate with comments like that continuously along the way, kind of to say where we stand and how he's feeling about me. And then obviously later on, it got into more of, I'm still wavering and I don't know. But I think you want to keep the attraction alive, but you want to stop and calm the crazy. So if you can stop and calm the crazy before it gets to crazy... I think that's beneficial for every man. So on, you know, at the two month mark, even just saying like, hey, I want to I want to check in with you and just let you know, like, I'm really enjoying dating you. I feel like there's chemistry here. 
And I just want to see where, where you're at as well. I'm not saying to say I'm in love with you, but to, to give little tidbits that can just, you know, keep that crazy at bay and calm her nerves and then also calm yours as well to make, make sure you're on the same page. You might have some good points there, Marnie. Yeah. Uh, I think even in your example, though, you did confess your feelings before your husband did and he reciprocated. Right. So even with respect to the confessing of feelings, I think it's best to wait for the woman to do it first and then to handle that. Expect that she will do it eventually and you should know how you're going to handle that that disclosure when it inevitably comes up. By the same token, I generally recommend that men wait for the women to bring up the, what are we doing, what's going on here, and to anticipate that it will it is coming and to know exactly how you're going to respond when it yeah. presents itself. And the reason why is because when a woman brings that up, it's like, if you want a relationship with that woman, she's going to say yes when she brings it up. Right. And it could be because women tend to be more emotional than men. And a, a guy could declare his feelings when the woman isn't just feeling it in that moment. You see what I'm saying? It's like in that moment when you were making out with your husband, you felt, I really like this person right now. Yeah. And so if he were to reciprocate that feeling, you're going to get you're going to all the gushy feelings in that moment. But if he were to text you out of the blue, "Hey, you know, this is I really like you and you might be stressed out about work, you might be Right, it may not land else. the same way. You're right. Exactly, exactly. So if you wait for a woman to bring it up, she's basically telling you, "I'm receptive to the idea of reciprocation from you right now. I'm receptive to the idea of a relationship." It's like a sure thing if you want it. So if a woman brings up, what are we, what are we doing? She's not going to do that with a guy she's not interested in having a relationship. Uh, absolutely. hundred percent. You're right. So by then the man should know whether he, yeah. this woman meets enough of his criteria to sort her into a, a commit, at least a committed partnership. And so he should say something like, sweetheart, I'm so glad you brought this up. I've been thinking about it too. And I really like you. Let's go crazy. Let's jump into this. Let's see where it goes. I'm so excited to do this with you. Oh, I love that. So waiting for the woman to bring it up basically means that she is showing her hand. She's saying, I'm really interested. I'm going to say yes if, you're, if you want to. You just need to tell me that that's what you want in this moment. Whereas sometimes bringing it up, the woman's not emotionally on the same page and you run the risk of having it go sideways and not be reciprocated. Interesting. Actually, Kristen, I want to ask your opinion on that. What do you think? Well, I'm 50-50 on it because yeah. my my boyfriend, basically the we had spent hours on the phone, but the first date, by the end of it, he said, I want you to be my girlfriend. And he was really forward and really upfront. And I found it really attractive and really sexy. But he's got a very distinct personality. He's got a big, strong personality. So that's what drew me to him in the first place. If it was another guy who said that to me, I don't know if I would if I would feel the same. So I'm a bit torn, you know, because I can Would see you the feel the same of... after three months? Well, this is may just be difference of opinion for for different women. I know that for me, I was afraid to say I love you first. I waited for my husband to say I love you. And when the I love you came from him, I was kind of over it at that point. And I didn't bring it up to him, not over it. Like I obviously still loved him, but my excitement about the I love you 
happened a month before his idea yeah. came. And I couldn't actually say it back when he first said, I love you. It took me a few days to reciprocate it. So it was interesting, but I wouldn't bring it up. But that's also, I was younger. I would, I probably would bring it up more now. I don't know. I'm yeah, so it seems it's a toss up. I do think it's a toss up. And I think based on how you're doing with women, if you're not having tons of success and not having a lot of women attracted to you quickly, I would wait for her to bring it up. Yeah. If you're the type of guy that's, you know, more bing, bang, boom, women are in your zone all the time, then you have that ability to pull it off I more so. That. Yeah. So I think awesome. you have to assess yourself and take yeah. into context who you are. Yeah. Because a lot of guys that I talk to as well who get into a lot of relationships, but they can't maintain them afterwards, it's because they're not expressing their emotions. They're not letting it get to a deeper level with women. This could all be very different situations that we're talking about, right? But like a lot of guys will get onto a, an eighth date with a woman and she's kind of like over him by that point. And this is a, a repeated pattern for him. And it's typically because he doesn't let it get any deeper than just surface level fun. He doesn't explain where he's at, express his emotions in any way, try to connect, ask questions, share, just a different level of intimacy, which I think this is a part of, of like saying where you're at is a level of intimacy. But I think like everything that we're saying is you have to gauge who you are and where you're at. But for most guys who have never been the rejectors before, I can understand that this can be like a power card for them, right? To not express their emotions all the time to women out of fear that they'll lose them. So I totally understand all the different dynamics. It just might be confusing for guys who are listening as to when to use it and when to not. But I think it's trusting your gut on where this woman is at. And if you start to see a woman kind of either pulling back or acting a bit crazy or maybe seemingly playing games, it's because she doesn't have enough information from you. And that's a sign for you to then take the lead and say to her where you're at and what you're feeling. Whereas some women will be forward and say like, okay, where's this going? Where are we at? Well, I would agree. It's very hard to state universal applications yeah. when it comes to dating. Dating is like fighting. And if we were to yeah. say, you always lead with the right hook <laughs> yeah. and then you do a left jab, you'd lose every exactly. fight. So yeah. you have to be in the moment and you have to gauge who you are. You have to gauge the opponent, the environment. It's like every fight is going to be different. But there are some general principles that we could potentially approach. But every rule has an exception to the rule. And that's what makes war such a fantastic yeah. conceptual strategy. Exactly. And dating is, you know, it's the close we come to war without actually pulling out the guns. <laughs> I like that you know, metaphor. With respect to um, locking somebody down, because that's kind of what it is. If somebody on the first date or on the eighth date says, hey, I really like you and I want you to be my girlfriend or I want you to be my boyfriend, on some level, the communication is that person is, I would think, in a position of relationship insecurity vis-a-vis -vis the other person. And they're saying, hey, this person that I'm dating is high value and I'm afraid that if I don't lock him or her down, he or she is going to get away. And so the person who defines the relationship or pressures to define the relationship first is usually the adorer. So I have this whole thing about the adored and the adore, the balance of attraction. Have you heard these episodes, Marnie? Kristen? No, I haven't. I really only listened to this episode and then looked at the titles of the other episodes. Okay, I'll be very brief. Balance of attraction is this framework that I developed. And it starts with the fundamental axiom that it's not possible for two people to like each other exactly the same amount. It's not. Mm -hmm. And so there's always a gap 
in attraction in any relationship. Yeah. And the person who likes the other person more, I call the adorer. And the person who likes the other person less, I call the adored. And there's actually pros and cons to both positions. And both positions are gender neutral. Men can be adorers and adored. Women can be yeah. adorers and adored. But in general, I recommend that women be adorers as opposed to the adored. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because it's the adorer who gets to have the emotional dimension of a relationship. It's the adorer who's like on pins and needles waiting for that text back. It's the adorer who is over the moon and daydreaming about the future. Yeah. It's the adorer who feels angry and upset when they cancel plans at the last second. So the adorer gets to feel all of the emotional dimension of a romantic relationship because that person gets to be with the one they love. And that is, there's no better experience on the planet than that. That's why most people actually want to be the adorers. Yeah. The adored get to be with the one that get to be loved by the one they're with. It's not nearly as emotionally compelling. It can be hard because the adorer is generally the giver. Most people are givers. It's actually harder for people to take than it is for most people to give. But mm-hmm. someone has to take in order for there to be a pretext for someone to give. Yeah. So all people kind of are looking more or less for that emotional experience of being in love. They want the tingles. They want the butterflies. Mm-hmm. They want that feeling. But I would argue that it's way more important for a woman to have the emotional dimension in a relationship than a man. I agree. Because if a, if a woman doesn't have that feeling, if she's bored, she's going to leave. Yeah. And so for that to happen it makes sense to kind of keep the balance of attraction in such a way that the woman is more often in the adorer mode because then she gets the emotional dimensionality of relationships. Yeah, I totally agree with that, 100%. I've never thought about it that way, but I do. I agree with it. And the adorer, we can also say, is the pursuer. And the adored is the pursued. Mm -hmm. And it's weird to think of it this way, but it's actually a sacrifice to be the adored. It's a sacrifice to be the pursued because most people want that emotional dimensionality. But if I, the man, am doing it, two people can't occupy the same place. So if I want that feeling, I'm kind of forcing you, the woman, into the position of the adored, and I'm taking the lion's share of the emotionality for my own selfishness because men are probably more romantic than women. Let's Let's be real. And men love that stuff. Women, they seem on the surface very romantic, but on the inside, they're very practical. Yeah, especially when it comes right. to mating and mating and dating. So romance is for men, and we as men kind of have to work against this tendency to fall into these romantic tropes when we go out and date women because it generally isn't successful. We have to remember that romance is a tragedy. Romance doesn't end well. Every romance ends in death, mm-hmm. in the classical sense, and it ends in, in the modern sense, the guy not getting the girl. Romance is not happy. Romance does not end in sex and relationship, but a lot of men are still addicted to let's almost like the spiritual dimension of romance. It feels noble to suffer for love, and that's a really hard habit to divest yourself of. I feel sad. I know. I was just like, oh God, where do I go from here now? I know. Oh God, I agree with everything that you just said. I want to wrap up the show because we're keeping you a little bit longer than we had said we were going to. So I do want to end this with you giving instructions on the proper way to reject a woman once you feel that she doesn't fall into these categories, right? And how do you say it? How do you do it so that 
that woman is like, you know, skipping off to her next relationship or to the the man that can love her the way that she wants. And she doesn't feel beat up and she doesn't feel that there's something else she can grab onto from you that you're not really saying the truth. So how do we do this properly? Well, as I said, usually the rejection from men comes a little bit later into the process. So it's usually mm-hmm. the woman wants to advance to a more committed relationship and the man doesn't, as opposed to a woman coming up to a guy at the bar asking for his number. That does happen, but it's pretty rare. So as before I said, as a man, you should always anticipate this conversation coming. And if after some period of courtship, for whatever reason, you're having fun with this girl, you see her as a lover, but you don't really see her as a future wife, you know that this conversation is coming and you should know what you should say at that moment. And it's something along the lines of, hey, I'm so glad you brought this up. I was thinking about this too. I've really enjoyed getting to know you. It's been great you know, going out and, and getting to know each other. I'm not in a place right now where I'm interested in having that type of relationship with you. And I can totally understand that's what you want. And if that means that we can't see each other anymore, that's totally fine. I respect your choice. I hope that we can potentially continue on having the type of relationship that we've had because I'm really enjoying it. But I can understand that that might not be what you want. And you kind of like give her the ultimatum, which is basically right. Like, but that gives a little yeah. bit of hope, right? I do, I do like the framework that you have. No, but like in a negative way. So like, cause that for me, that means, oh, but you could in three months, like that would be my delusional way of thinking, right? You're giving me hope because really you're probably never going to see me that way. It's possible. Yeah. Right. But most likely it's not a timing thing. Maybe it is. Maybe in eight months, you might see me that way, but eight months, you might not see me that way. Right. I would actually rather hear I'm not feeling that way about you. There's a nicer way to say this, but like this is the max of of where I think this relationship goes. You're not checking all the boxes. Like that's sort of what you started off saying before, but in a nicer way to say you're not checking all the boxes because there's two things. If you're not in that space to have a relationship, then that's what needs to be expressed, right? But if it's that she's not, if you are in the space to have a relationship, but she's not the one that you want to have this kind of relationship with, but you enjoy being with her. I think it's important to let that woman know that because like the way that you framed it gave that woman a little bit of hope, right? That like something she could do could alter how you see her when in reality, nothing that she could do could alter that behavior. I wouldn't say nothing. And usually this is just a, an an entree into a, yeah. a conversation because generally the next question that I get asked if when I've said that in the past is like, well, well, what's holding you back? Like, what would you need? Right. And you have a, an honest conversation about like where this is falling short in what you would need in order to advance the relationship to the next level. Sometimes it's something like, I'm not that physically attracted to you which I've said to women, and it's very hard to say that. (laughs) I would punch you in the stomach. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard 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 to hear. hear. Yeah, it's hard to say. No one wants to... Be like, well, you liked my vagina last night. What's wrong with it today? No. Yeah, well, there's men have sex for all kinds of different reasons. Right, lighting, exactly. Oh, I feel like Um, I would be so angry at that. uh, Yeah, Uh, well, actually... Usually when I have this conversation, it can go one of three ways. Either the woman gets so upset that she just sort of like storms out of the house 
that's about a third. Another third is, hey, you know, that doesn't work for me. I need to find somebody who's interested in moving forward with the type of relationship I want. Yeah. And I say, great, yeah, no problem. We And we part as friends and there's no hard feelings and we enjoyed our time together. And then a third say, hey, you know, that's less than ideal, but I really like you and I do like having the situation. So it's like asking for a raise and being told no, but you still like your job, you know? So you'd be surprised. A lot of women are okay with this not necessarily checking all of their boxes. It depends on how attracted they are to the man in question. So yeah, it's a fine line. When I say this line, it's, it's not to give the woman false hope that in three or four months, it's going to be different. It's to say, I like what we have, but you might not be getting any more than that. And if she is curious about what's holding me back, we can have a conversation about that. Sometimes there are things that can be done. Sometimes there, there are things that can't be done. Okay. So like sometimes, Actually, like what would be the things that she could, could do? Like that would change. Like what would I remember be remember one time many, many years ago, this woman asked me this and I told her what I told her. And she says, like, what, what is going on? What's holding you back? And I said, well, to be honest, you don't have a job and you've never had a job. And I just got out of a relationship not too long ago where with a woman who didn't have a job and who never had a job. And it felt like I was taking care of an adult dependent. And at the time I was still a grad student. I didn't have a lot of money. And I didn't want to get myself in that situation again where I was financially responsible for another adult human being. And she was so offended by that. She said it was the stupidest reason to not want to date somebody because they didn't have a job. And I was like, well, women do that all the time. time. Yeah. It's like just a given that the guy needs to have money or a job. And the, the idea that I had a similar standard with respect to her and her lifestyle was very insulting. She was one of the storm out. She didn't even slam the door. She just left mm-hmm. the door wide open. I never heard from her again. But that's something that like, that was a logistical consideration. You talked about how some guys just don't, like your feelings aren't going to change. That might be true, but it might not be true. You'd be surprised. It's like feelings can creep up on people. Yeah. But feelings are not a good reason to get married. Feelings are not a good reason to get into a committed relationship. Right. They're a part of it. They're, they're yeah, a portion you don't of it, I would be with somebody that you feel nothing for, that you feel right, right, right. contempt for, for sure. But love is not enough. And there could be practical logistical considerations that can be navigated to make it more likely that you two can be a successful couple. A couple, especially like a marriage, is like a small business. You need to have complementary skills. Totally. You need to be honest about like what your mission is. Do we have the same values? What are we here to 100%. do? And like, See, it's what- funny because these things I would... So I can put myself into her shoes and I would also be pissed after bringing it up to you and then you saying that to me. But had you come to me first and said it, I think I would, I would react differently. I actually would have been more open to hearing it because that means you would have let this go on forever had I not said anything. Potentially. Right. right. But that's where, a, like, that's where I would be pissed. I'm like, wait, why didn't you say anything about this? So, so you're like sitting there being totally unattracted to me and sticking like that these are i'm just saying like this is where my head as a woman would go and i'm a pretty confident woman but i'm saying had i been dating a guy and he came to me and he said listen like i'm having such a good time with you but there's this thing that i'm struggling with right now and in my past 
I've had a relationship with women who, you know, didn't work and I had to take care of them. And that's not how I want to have a partnership. And I know that you don't have a job right now. And I want to talk about that with you. Like, I don't know, for me, that would be like a better way to bring it up rather than me having to bring that up and then hear hear that information And, and vice versa for men, right? Like, I mean, for women to express those things earlier, I just think like open communication in the earlier process is what's going to get everybody what they want or get rid of everything you don't want, right? There's things that you're enjoying. I don't know. I'm just, I, I see it a little bit differently. With this particular woman, it certainly was not an attraction problem. She was a smoke show. She was really, really hot. I was very, very attracted to her. I do think that she had never been told no by a man before. And so just like men kind of have to learn how to reject women, some women have to learn how to be rejected. rejected, It can be very difficult. She, She was a beautiful woman at 23. And I don't think that she's ever was ever told no at that point. The way I think about it with respect to what you're talking about is, look, lots of people want to be the CEO. Lots of people want to be in the C-suite of a company. Not many people are going to get there. Right. It's not necessarily a bad thing to work for a company if you never become the CEO. Your time is not being wasted. You're getting a paycheck every two weeks. You're having something to do. It's probably the best possible job that you could get, which is why you took it. So the fact that the president did not come down and say, hey, just so you know, you're never going to make it to the C-suite. That sounds cruel to me. Now, if that were true, it would be even more cruel to put false hope in that person's mind and say, if you just work hard for the next 10 years, then you'll be promoted to the C-suite when there's really no intention of doing that. Right. That is even worse. But you certainly don't have to go out of your way and tell your employees that not all of them will make it to the director suite. Right. Because that's obvious. So that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at is that... You no, no, and that, that makes complete hope. sense. But what would be helpful in the corporate scenario is for somebody's boss to have a quarterly review with them <laughs> and just say, like, hey, we're checking in. How's it going for you? Here are some things for you to work on. You know, like, so... Yes. And in the corporate yeah. world, they like schedule that either quarterly or let's say semi-annually. But I would say even better this is something that I encourage my clients to do, is to be proactive about it and say, hey, I'm serious about advancement at this company. What do I need to do in order to get ahead, listen to the feedback and be willing to implement it versus waiting to be given the feedback? That shows initiative. Like don't wait to get a raise. Don't wait to be given a raise. Don't wait to be given a promotion. No, you go and you ask for it. Exactly, go and go for it. And when they tell you no, because the universe lives closed. They can't just be saying yes to everybody. Listen, get curious. What is it? How can I, because the way that people say no gives them a clue as to how to get them to say yes. I talk about this, the game of please no, which is the fundamental game of human relationships. No is just a starting point. And the more that you can get curious about, well, what's stopping you from saying yes with the attitude and the assumption that these are solvable problems and that I'm dealing with a good faith agent, you're going to accelerate your process in life, whether it's in 
relationships right, right, right. or or in business. Or at work or in anything. Yeah, Absolutely. you're totally right. So yeah. she asked for feedback, got told no. She asked for feedback and she said these were stupid reasons that have nothing to do, they shouldn't have anything to do with why she gets promoted. Right. It's like it's not for her to decide that. Right. And you're right. She didn't she didn't get a position. Yeah. She didn't get offered a position at the company. Yeah. You got a bad Yelp review after. No, I don't think so. I just got nothing. Just, <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to wrap up the show now because I don't want to keep you any longer, but I'm enjoying this conversation. I could talk to you for Me a too. long time. So thank you so much for coming on. And for guys who are listening, please, please, please go over to YouTube. Go look at Psych Hacks. There are some amazing videos on there where Dr. Orion digs really deep into very small, specific topics that are very beneficial for all men to listen to. So head over there, go check it out. Thank you so much for coming on. You were awesome. Thank you for staying on longer. New episodes of the Ask Women podcast come out every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific. Please go and subscribe to our show. Share these with friends that you know will benefit from the information that was shared on this show. You guys are awesome. I'll see you next week. 